Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, our guest this week is songwriter Dan Wilson. I think most people know Dan Wilson for a couple of things. Number one, he was the frontman for Semisonic. Everybody remembers them with Closing Time, still a stalwart, still an evergreen hit. Before that, he was, we didn't get into it in here, but before that he was in this really interesting band called Trip Shakespeare. If you've never listened to them, go check that out, it's wild. Anyway. His second career is as one of the most successful songwriters of the last 25 years or so. In fact, I didn't mention it in here, but I saw him post on Facebook, I think. He thanked everybody because last year his songs were streamed on Spotify 743 million times. Think about that for a second. That is insane. So... He Now, most of that is with other people, obviously. He's written with, the big ones are like the Dixie Chicks, Taylor Swift, Adele. He co-wrote this song right here, Someone Like You. That's why we're playing his version of it. But then he also collaborates with tons of other people. Now, uh, some of those people we get into in here, there's like Weezer, Not A Surf, Mitski, Harry Connick Jr., Steve Perry. But he also puts out his own music. And recently he put out an EP called Dancing on the Moon. And we play some of the songs from that in here as well. So not only is he one of the greatest songwriters for other people, but his own solo stuff is fantastic as well. In fact, we kick off the conversation here with honestly one of my favorite songs of the last 15 years or so, 20 years. And it's a song he put out um, that I, I wanted to ask him about. Anyway, he's collaborated with everybody. He's got an amazing story, and he's such a sweet and in- hyper-intelligent guy. It's amazing how he how he attacks or approaches his work, okay? Anyway, I thought it would be really interesting to hear from him about all of this stuff when we get to all of it. He called me from his home in L.A. Uh, the first thing I have to ask you, and this is if the power goes out and we suddenly lose each other and never do this again. The thing that I want to know more than anything is the story behind even the stars are sleeping because that's one of my favorite songs ever. One of my favorite compositions of yours. It's on the love without fear album. It's at the end of yeah. that album. Yeah. Um, that album was in my top 10 for of the year for the year that it came out. And every time I hear that song, it wrecks me and I want to know what the story of it is.
Wow. Um, I think I had a session in maybe 2010, 2009 with Rachel Yamagata. Mm. We had written, we have written a lot of songs in the past. Um, and uh, we were tasked in, a, in an interesting way with writing something for a movie called Dear John. Yeah and uh okay i vaguely remember that movie and we did we uh we ended up doing we ended up doing a song for that movie that was really really good um i cannot remember the name of it it's been a long I'll time <laughs> but um even the stars are sleeping is a song that we we also did in that same session i think we might have written two or three songs oh you take my troubles away was the one we ended up writing <laughs> for the dear john when we did it as a duet which was really dreamy and then we did um a demo of even the stars are sleeping as a duet then i think the recording kind of went away for several years until i was working on love without fear and uh i think missy higgins and i were doing a session for other purposes yeah i think we were we were Actually, we were writing, Missy and I were writing some things for um, an album of hers. And uh, I just had a notion that she would sound great in a kind of a duet role with even the stars. Mm. Okay. And um, I'm pretty sure that's how that unfolded. So I, then, I, then we got the vocal and it was amazing. And then, yeah. um, and then I think I just, once again, like 
I don't, didn't really pay attention to it, not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Just kind of left it alone for a while, and um, I think I had a session. That, this is very opportunistic. Then I had a session with a drummer friend of mine, and asked him to play drums on on that on the track. And then it mm. started to feel like a real thing. Then it started yeah. to feel like a real moment. And everything from that point on was like kind of just trying to gently carry it over the finish line. And I think uh, Missy was even surprised when I finally sent a version. And and Rachel had, for, I, I don't know if she'd forgotten all about the song. Wow. So it was one of those things that uh, even The Stars Are Sleeping is one of those songs that like, I mean, it's not like I took such great care of it. I just kept trying a little bit here and a little bit there yeah. to, see if, if, to see if that recording could turn into a thing. Yeah. And then it did. I, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the song because, you know, I'm like... I know that music is not mostly for like people floating off into space on a on a beautiful sad you know dream cloud but uh -huh. that's, kind of, that's kind of one of the things that i do best yes, you do <laughs> yes you do so it's it's joyful to me and often if i do a session with someone for their record they ain't looking for no dream cloud reverie off in space quiet chill sad moment they're uh -huh they can write those all day, you know, they want yeah. something that sort of bangs in some way, you know? So yeah. I think probably Rachel had sort of forgotten about the song or wasn't really clamoring to do a version herself or whatever. Uh -huh. and, I, and I wasn't either until this, until this vocal with Missy came along and then it was, uh, that's wild. Different man. So co-written with Rachel intended yes. for maybe something she wanted to do maybe. sat around yes Missy's vocals are on the final product that we hear right and that's what turned it into a thing that was worthy of putting on an album i think that's kind of i think what happened was that it turned into music you know it turned uh, into kind of um it went from an idea that was a good idea and had a vibe and was you know mm -hmm. worthy and then it turned into a record. And when it turned into a record, it was like, oh, you know, yeah. now I'm going to chase this down. I guess that's how I feel. Like, I, I feel like, okay. you know. Okay. Yeah, I, I love that song. There are so many of your songs that really hit me, but that one probably more than the rest. And I've just always wondered what the, it's one of those songs that I'll put on repeat for, you know, 10 or 15 times in a row just to float off like you were saying and really feel it absorb it you know yeah. i get lost yeah. in it i love it it's got it's just it's just got a vibe i don't know yeah. I, I find it to be i mean every time i listen to it i'm like oh shit wow <laughs> you know it's like a way more kind of affecting to me yeah than i remember yeah and you know i don't have I, i'm not i'm not always of that opinion when i listen to my stuff uh-huh you know i'm not always like oh i'm so great you know whatever uh -huh. Quite often, I'm, I think, oh, I really could have done better, a better job. <laughs> yeah. No, not on that one. What oh. I'm curious about, Dan, is there was a moment when you were the semi-sonic guy, and then you were the song doctor guy. Yeah. And I'm wondering what was the bridge from the first career to the second what I'm imagining is, first of all, that song you did with Big Runga that's on American Pie. What's it called, suddenly? I'm forgetting. Um, oh, it's right here. Good Morning Baby. Is that it? Good Morning Baby. Yeah. Yes, okay. 
Um, I wondered if that might be kind of the bridge or the beginning of, I'm imagining like an actress, you're in LA, I'm imagining an actress or an actor going to their agent saying, I'm tired of doing rom-coms. I want to do something serious. I want to be, can you put me up for parts? Make me a know, villain. A, yeah. Make me a villain or somebody, make me a, the, the bad guy or a, right. you know, whatever. Yeah. Right. And then they start going out for those kinds of roles. And I wonder yeah. if you at the end of Semisonic has a, a meeting with an agent and says, I want to diversify who can you get me to songwrite with and then it's the chicks and then it takes off that's all very true although the timing isn't exactly like that i i when i was a kid i my parents listened to um carol king's tapestry record a lot and i was very fascinated early on by but when i learned that she wrote james taylor's hit song you've got a friend that was a thing I didn't really realize was a thing. And uh, I was I was into my piano lessons, and I was often, like, when I was maybe 11, 12, I started doing this thing of drawing um, pretend album covers of, of fake bands that I was going to have, you know, things like that. And then I then I started learning about how, how it worked a little bit more, and I learned that Lennon and McCartney wrote songs for the Beatles, but also George Harrison wrote songs. And sometimes my favorite songs were the George Harrison songs. And I was very fascinated by that. And then, but then, but the, the, the Carol King writing songs for other people trip was the really, really fascinating part for me. So I think early, early, I, I thought I was going to be somebody's idea of a great songwriter. Mm. And I, and I did a lot to make that fantasy come true. And I, I took a lot of left turns also, but I think, in semi-sonic days when trip shakespeare sort of stopped touring after seven years uh i was in minneapolis a lot and i started trying to get my friends to write songs with me in town like i was uh, uh you know i wasn't on tour anymore so i kept calling people and nobody really wanted to everyone was like well i kind of write songs in a weird personal way and you wouldn't you know want to see right. it and i don't i wouldn't want to let anyone watch me do it and no thank you so i had a lot of people say no thank you early on so I started really in the community, like, and I wrote it. I think I might have written a song with a couple of friends. I had always written songs with with my brother Matt, and I'd always written songs with Jacob from Semisonic. Mm -hmm. But um, other than that, I really hadn't branched out. And when I struck out on the community outreach, I, then I did what you're describing. But this was like ninety eight or 99 so things were still happening with semisonic and i was still very mm -hmm. busy with the band but i started telling the my business peeps right like you're saying the agent you know make, get yeah. me a villain give me a role as a villain yeah. I, I i wanted to get a role as like a a, a helper or a co-song songs mm -hmm. 
And that led pretty quickly to me and Vic Runga doing Good Morning Baby. Yeah. And that came out maybe in 99, a year year after we I did it. Right. And it was pretty easy. And it actually, like, we, I had half the song, I think. She thought it was more. I think I had half a song done, and we just did that. And um, also, it was nice to become friends with her. And uh, we, I love so we wrote, we wrote Good Morning Baby together, and it went into this big movie that was a hit. And it all seemed like very easy and doable. Like, wow, every time I try, something great's going to happen, which is not true. But I, it really was kind of a boost of confidence. And then uh, I kept clamoring to my business arm that I wanted to do more co-writes. And the next one that came down the pike is, I kid you not, Carol King. I rem- yeah, I was going to say, when you were talking about her earlier, you guys collaborated. We did, and we she she was already my I, I, idol, my icon yeah. for songwriting. And um, my manager was talking to my publisher. My manager Jim was talking to my publisher John about some sticky wicket that they were in uh, a bit of a dispute about royalties or something. Mm. And my publisher John said, "Oh, Jim, can I put you on hold for a second? So Jim says, "Yeah," and, and John waits a bit. You know, Jim waits a bit online, and then. John, my publisher, comes back on the line and says, would Dan write a song with Carol King? Because I have her on the other line. And my manager, Jim, was like, yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so all the, all the royalty disputes evaporated. And, yes. uh, and then we, yeah. we, they set up that session for me and Carol. So Carol was my second kind of music oh, business generated co-write. Oh, yeah, and it was... She was really good at, she put me at ease in a really good way. She was really good at like keeping it calm and funny. Yeah. She was very collaborative. She was like, do you like that? And she'd play something and I'd go, I'm not sure. She'd go, okay, how about this instead? And she'd think of a whole new idea. Did you very, go to her house in Idaho? No, we didn't go to Idaho. I wish I had gone to Idaho to see her. Yeah. We got together in a place in, I don't know if it was in bel air or somewhere in la i can't even remember i was in you know as i drove there i was in complete outer space i had no idea of course, where I, was. Of course. I was just like too nervous and amazed uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah and she was she was really funny she was very she um she made some jokes she was she was very spicy in her jokes uh, oh really i mean kind of kind of um i i guess a little a little barbed in her humor uh-huh, in a uh-huh. good way. Like I didn't expect her to be kind of giving me shit like early <laughs> on, but in a nice way. And, sure, uh, sure. and she also made a couple of jokes that it literally took me years to realize they were jokes. I kind of, <laughs> I hung on to these things that Carol said for years and years. And then I was like, Oh damn, <laughs> she was making fun. She was teasing me like years later. Yeah. So good. So good. But you know, I think also once again, I, I wasn't in my most, perceptive frame of mind but we 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 did a we did a great song um one true love symphonic one true love
You sure did. And I hadn't so really good. planned. I didn't know how, how we were going to. I thought, oh, Carol and I are, are going to write a song and something will happen. I didn't know what would happen. I didn't know I was supposed to go home and cut it, but that's what we did. Well, you did. So then when the when the chicks, when the Dixie Chicks things happen, I mean, that's that's really kind of, it's not ground zero, but that's kind of the big bang, I think, of the Dan Wilson yeah. second. That's what jump-started the second half of your career. Yeah. Are you one of several people that are like this thing? Did, are, did someone call John or Jim, call their management, say, anyone want to write with Dan Wilson? And they say, the Semisonic guy? Yeah, sure. And it's you know, 10 other people and you guys had a good chemistry or did they seek you out? How did you even get that meeting? Uh, well, there was no meeting. Oh. Um, here's how it happened. My, once again, my business arm being busy and into the business had been actually trying to get me on a writing session with the chicks for their home album. Mm. The one before uh, uh, taking a long way. Yeah. It kept kind of almost happening and then not happening. It was, you know, they're, they just, they do things, they have impeccable taste and they have all, you know, they have their own plans and it just wasn't going to happen. And, and um, I had thought about it a bunch when the first time around, when we were going to maybe get together and I was very much like in a, in a funny mood about them because I, because I didn't really want to write. I really loved songs of theirs, like uh, "There's Your Trouble." I, I liked their and and "Goodbye Earl." I loved those twangy, snarky, mm -hmm. you know, kind of fun songs. Sure. But I kind of I kind of also knew that I wasn't gonna I wasn't the person to write those things. Like I wasn't gonna write twangy Texas, you know, mm -hmm. "Don't Mess with Me, Girl" uh, anthems. You know what I mean? Uh -huh, uh -huh. And so I funny because th so that didn't happen. And then on the next record. After all the shit had hit the fan with them and their comments about the Iraq war got them in so much trouble with country radio. That, so the next, I and I watched that with great interest. The next I heard about the chicks was um, that Rick Rubin was going to produce them. And Rick and I were working on my album, Love Without Fear, a lot at the time. Mm. So the meeting was more like Rick kept playing them work in progress that he and I were doing for my album. Wow. And so they loved that song, Sugar. They were thinking about covering yeah. that song. They didn't cover that song. Uh, Natalie loved the song, Free Life, which she ended up cutting on one of her records. Yep. You know, they they were, initially they thought, okay, we're going to just use Rick's friend Dan's song, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on our thing. And then when they started to have the idea that they were going to, Rick said, you guys have to write everything on this record. You, we, It has to be really personal. It can't be covers. It it has to be from the heart and about your wild experience being outlawed by country music. That's just mm -hmm. it's got to be some something like that has to, or or your life stories or whatever it's going to be. So there was no meeting. Rick just said, "I really think you and Dan could make a great song." Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's just what happened. And we yeah we got together for two days. Wrote wrote two. We wrote uh, it's so hard when it doesn't come easy.
which is about our, our mutual experience of hard one um uh parenthood oh really uh, and um then the second day we wrote uh not ready to make nice mm -hmm. from an idea i had when i woke up was and and i had you know i think they had and rick had heard my music from some recordings i had done and i had and, and that cheryl crow mm -hmm. sang backups on so cheryl came through town we had we had become friends on a a, a tour that semi-sonic opened for her and she came through town and and contacted me and the message was do you want me to come over and sing on any of your recordings <laughs> Like day off in Minneapolis, I don't know. So she came like in all day. She sang in a bunch of stuff I was working on. Wow! And then you know, and then she like was off to the show. Yeah. So it was incredible. And then a, a month later, Rick Rubin called me out of the blue and said, "Hey man, Cheryl's been playing me your songs. They're incredible. You know, do you want to come over to the house and talk about music?" And I said, "Yeah, I I would love to, but." you know you are calling me in minneapolis and you're in <laughs> i can't just pop over right <laughs> i can't just pop over there and see you but i'm going to be in la next month so let's hang so that that's how that's how rick learned that he liked my music was from cheryl yeah and cheryl learned that she liked my music and wanted to do something collaborative yeah. from that tour that we did Wow. So it's all like a, you know, and before that I had really done a lot, I had done a lot of sessions. I'd written several songs on Jason Mraz's second mm -hmm. and then third record. He's great. Wonderful, wonderful experience. We had the best time. Yeah. And before that I had written with a, a bunch of people, but, but Rachel Yamagata, who was yeah. friends with Jason, who showed Jason the song that Rachel and I, you know, it's like a, mm -hmm. it's like a little meandering yeah. trail of ideas going back. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, we don't have to, I want to, I got one more question or comment about this sort of thing before we get yeah. to the new stuff. It was, it occurred to me in getting ready to talk to you. I mean, the, nowadays the big ones are Taylor and Adele probably. Um, they're the two biggest stars probably in the world musically. What I, what it, what occurred to me was that when you collaborated with them, 
10, 12 years ago, they weren't the icons that they are today. Mm -hmm. They were very promising, up-and-coming, fantastic artists and songwriters. What What I realized is that it's almost like hitting the lottery. You happen to collaborate with two people who were great. They could have just as easily been Rachel or any of the other Vic, one of the other young, fantastic female artists that you were collaborating with at the time. It just so happened that those two exploded and therefore so did your career. But you weren't necessarily making an all-in gamp bet on the two of them when you did it. I don't think anyway. It was just... I'm a good songwriter. You guys are going places. Let's work together. You know, yeah. it yeah. just worked out this way. Right. It's so interesting. I, 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 uh, I know what you mean. And I think even those things, I don't want to be the guy who keeps tracing things back, but it's one step, one step before Adele is the fact that she thought that Dixie chicks were amazing and she yeah. loved taking the long way. Yeah. And, and um taylor had covered easy silence uh at a a couple shows i think and and talked a lot about how much she loved that song that i wrote with the chicks so a lot of these things kind of like almost like you were saying before kind of go back to the chicks i mean this the 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 great thing about what you're saying is that it's sort of ignoring the fact that i that i wrote the most sort of unlikely evergreen anthem of 90s rock too <laughs> that's true that's true that's i mean true. it's sort of a weird you know i mean it, it was like the soft end of it's not as it's not cigarettes and alcohol by oasis or Wonderwall. it's 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 sweeter than those yeah, songs you know what i mean but it but it's it's it's, it's you know you hear it at the home depot more often than <laughs> than Wonderwall too <laughs> That's true. true. Well, no, but I mean, nowadays, if you're an up and coming songwriter and you have the opportunity to possibly contribute on a Taylor or an Adele album, that's like the biggest thing in your career. But when you did it, it wasn't, it didn't have that cachet. They were just promising people. But it so happened that you rolled the dice on these two, among many others, and it, and you hit the jackpot. But you got to remember that if you're in music, like if you're in, like all of my friends in music had listened to Adele's first album, 19, True. right? Yeah. And they yeah. all loved Chasing Pavements and Hometown Glory. Mm-hmm. We all, you know, the, so the, the the music community is like, we think people are stars before they become stars, but it's Good not point. like we're that smart. We're just like, it's just our, it's, our, it's the atmosphere, yes. it's our environment, you know, so we heard the first Adele record and she was already a superstar in all of our minds. Yes, it, that makes sense. It just wasn't, it just hadn't come to fruition on the broader mm-hmm. scale. And, yeah. and, and uh, Taylor was making this really fascinating pivot. I, I kind of hate that word, but that's what it was from country rock was. into arena rock into pop. And you really, it really seemed even at the time, even before Red, which was kind of the real hit album. I agree. Uh, you could still feel, and if you're in the business, you, you're all of us. I'm not saying the business in the sense of like, oh, the music business with successful people. I mean, people who do this all the time, every day of their lives. You know, mm-hmm. if you're in that setting, you know that Taylor Swift is up to something before the public yeah. sees it five Good years point. from now. So, Good point. Yes, that's true. 
Yeah. Um, okay. I have a number of other collaborations I want to ask you about, but well, before we do that, let's talk about yeah. Dancing on the Moon. Because one thing that I find really enjoyable now is um, for the last, it looks like two, three years, you've just been putting out a single whenever, a single, I don't know if it's going to go on the radio, but a yeah, song. You whenever a song you, on Spotify. Yeah. Right, yeah. A song on Spotify. And right. so if you go to Dan Wilson, this is for anyone who's, you know, less invested than I am. If you go to Dan Wilson on Spotify and you hit play at the beginning, you're not, you're going to hear just a bunch of different songs for the next like three or four years. All these great, you know, singles that are on here. There's under the circumstances. Hit me like a shot out of the dark. Hit me like a bolt of lightning striking. Blinded by the lighting of a spark. Everything we knew before ignited. Terrified, raise a wild, no time to waste. Try Love, Red Light, I love that one, Super Fan, Eventually, Sunshine, anyway, th they just keep coming. Mm -hmm. So why why did this particular EP need to be these six songs right. when there are 20 others that you've been working on lately? Uh, I think, um, well, the singles idea, and I, I agree with you, it's not really like they're singles, they're actually just songs that I put online, yeah. but let's call, them, let's call them like single song releases. I think I, I don't know if I did 20 or some 15 or anyway, some, I did quite a few of them. And, uh, and then I was, um, I had gotten into, because of the, um, the workflow, the pandemic, I was still writing with people and I was writing more songs with, instead of writing one song with one artist and then not seeing them for a couple of years, I was, I was writing more songs. I wanted to be deeper into like over Zoom or are you guys in a pod? Sometimes, yeah, Zoom okay. during the time when everyone was on Zoom, where I That's was doing I mean. it on Zoom, yeah. and then during the brief periods when it seemed like things were opening up, I would do it in person with them outside. It's LA, but it was almost that there was a a little backlog of my songs, my solo songs, and it just suddenly seemed like oh, it's time to put out something, you know, a body of work. And so uh, I actually had more songs than I needed for the for that. And I ended up messing around with a lot of different combinations of five or six songs. Okay. I was going to do four, and then I got greedy and lazy, and I did five instead. And then I got lazier and greedier, and I did six. But that's I, I just want people to hear my stuff. It's so good. On the floor, I know you didn't write it. I don't I've heard of Perfume Genius. I didn't I don't know Perfume Genius well enough to know that it's a cover or whatever. But it's one of the standouts on Dancing in the Moon. I'm trying. 
With as great a songwriter as you are, what goes into Dan Wilson's mind to decide what he wants to cover? Why this one? Well, um, one of the reasons was, I think it might have been 2021, um, Spotify wrapped. Oh, yeah. And it, it was Monica Martin, Go Easy Kid. And it was uh, Perfume Genius on the floor. And it was Herbie Hancock doing it. Wow. Those were the songs that I listened to the most in 2021. Uh-huh. And uh, so then when I was sort of, when I was putting together the the list for the EP, my manager Jim suggested that I, that I think about um, recording a cover. And I think everybody would have loved like me to, I don't know if I was being cynical I'm a fan of the person I'm about to mention, Mm -hmm. but if I was being cynical, I I would think everyone is just hoping and praying I would choose a Phoebe Bridgers song or something. Oh, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. Like to to ride her coattails to heaven somehow Uh or whatever. Uh But um, so I think when I, I think when I, and I didn't tell my team or anybody what song I was going to do, but then we, my, then I recorded um, on the floor by perfume genius. Cause it was, it was between that basically and go easy kid. And Go Easy Kid, it turned out when I sang it, I was just trying to be like a half-assed Monica Martin when uh, I sang it. Whereas when I sang the Perfume Genius song, I, I could just sound like me. I just yeah. sang it like myself. And it yeah. worked out great. So I sent it to everybody. And I you know, I think my my colleagues basically loved the recording. And they, they yeah. you know, didn't quite have the, the hipster juice that they were hoping I would <laughs> somehow try to, try to add. <laughs> i love the cp though because um it's the sound you were talking earlier about you know floating off into space or whatever there's a this cp does that but not in the same way your other songs did yeah it's more expansive production wise you know under the circumstances dancing on the red light i don't red light is like seven minutes well there's a there's a single version that was earlier that was like Mm -hmm. seven minutes or no Born, I was thinking of something else. Anyway, Red Light is like five minutes of this spacey, jammy, get lost in a sound or a vibe thing. And I, that's not always what I think about when it comes to Dan Wilson.
No, in fact, I, I, I was that was pretty conscious because um, maybe since 2017, in 2016, I started this thing that I called Experimental Friday. And I just, it was just at my house. It wasn't any, it wasn't a show or anything public. It was just, I would, every Friday I would devote to jamming with a friend or working on something sonically experimental that I, that I didn't know what the, what was the purpose for. Because mm-hmm. I had become such an expert, I would say, in humbleness, that uh-huh. I had become sort of an expert in a kind of documentary recording mm-hmm. of american musical instruments you know mm-hmm. and i'm happy that i know how to do that but i also wanted to and i also had become sort of the expert in like co-writing and so i think the world would then want me to just co-write every day of the year mm-hmm. but i i just decided i was going to carve out all of my fridays and spend it with a friend so i had a couple of different friends who like i had a friend who came a bunch of times who has a modular synthesis rig mm-hmm came over with a huge, like he has a folding, t- you know, a party table that he brings with him, like a folding table, a DJ table, <laughs> set it up in my studio, put all of his crap on it. Like it's, pi- it's piled high with wires and he gets going and he's like, you know, what kind of sound are you thinking? And I sort of describe something. And then he's like, he just patches wires for like five yeah. minutes. Goes, How about this? You know? And then, so we did that a bunch of times, just me and him making tracks that were, uh, I would say, weird and 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 beautiful and kind of yeah. sometimes pretty gnarly because he's into hip-hop like production so his his people hire him to make like the really scary stuff that you listen sure. to in a, in a big truck you know in a, in a uh-huh. big, like, the stuff my son listens to pretty much yeah so just yeah. ominous you know yeah. slightly yeah. detuned freaky uh-huh. sound stuff so so christopher and i did that a bunch of times and i had i it, i took the opportunity to like there's a great drummer named Taylor Gordon and she came over uh, to the house a couple of times and jammed and we just made tracks and had a good time and talked and stuff. And that was my, that was like my, and then sometimes I would, sometimes I would take my guitar pedals and try to make the weirdest possible sound. And those were my Fridays for like two yeah. years. And that was really helpful because it, it got me into this mindset of just like, well, part of what I do is so eventually i was taking my guitar rig to sessions and i'd plug in and i'd kind of do what my friend christopher would do with his modular synths mm. i'd plug in and i'd just make the weirdest sound i could come up with and quite often you know the weirder it was the the more the producer and the artist would go wait a minute that's amazing you know <laughs> yeah. and we would end up using that sort of strange sound as like the the beginnings so i think all that kind of bled into my solo recordings like try love if you want to be lied to broken down crushed on the ground you could try love if you want to be sky blue so alone nobody home you could try love you might want to try love try a little love if you want to cry more than you ever thought you could you might want to try love try a little love if you want to cry more than you ever thought you would 
it's like a you know tropical rainforest but there's it's not macaws or macaques and macaws and you know mm -hmm. parrots and tigers or whatever it's 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 like guitar pedals like mm -hmm. making a jungle for mm -hmm. you know long stretch of time that so just kind of i kind of got into that idea of like i'm just going to be i'm just going to make wild landscapes of of sound and see how that feels and that's and then i kind of reeled it in a little bit and and did the dancing on the moon ep with that in mind so i have to ask with your primary i still think primary job being songs songwriter with other people sure. are these songs that you felt like made the most sense to be your songs are they did they start with Rachel Yamagata somewhere and become mm. your song eventually. Mm. How did the how do you narrow it down and say these are mine? I'm not giving these to someone else. Well, let's see. Um, well, Dancing on the Moon, I started, I wrote like the first half of it at the piano in late 2020, maybe. I, I I couldn't exactly figure out what to do with the um and maybe maybe it was like late summer of 2020 so still still locked down I couldn't figure out what to do with it so I asked my two engineers uh Sarah Mulford and John Mark Nelson to come over and sit out on the deck of my house mm. and they helped me they're both really good lyricists and, and songwriters and they helped me finish the song and then it's, then it's done and i'm not really that song actually even though i had sort of decided or planned that it was going to be on my record in some way that song got kind of passed around in in the business a little bit and it looked like we could have gotten a really good cover of it mm -hmm. but i don't know i wasn't in the mood for that so okay you know, yeah that's you touching on this that's what i was thinking too your albums and or your singles or songs or all the things from the last few years are sort of business cards this is hey everybody this is what i can do yeah. you want a piece of dan wilson this is what i can do for you you know i think yeah i mean i guess i guess you could say that but i got plenty of business cards that's true you do you know, at, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not arguing i just feel like that's not how i see my recordings to me it's like uh 
because I'm just because I'm myself, I can't really see my career. I can't mm. see my the things I've done. I know that I'm bored when other artists want me to recognize them for being talented and doing a great job. Like there's to me nothing more boring. It's like going to a talent show and watching your friend's kid sing a song. I, I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna I don't wanna listen to someone who is who needs affirmation and praise for doing a piece of music. Uh, like does Scorsese make a movie and then he's like worried that we're gonna like it? No, fuck <laughs> us. He doesn't care. It's true. You know, and and so I, I feel like in a way, like it's less of being like a a, a a business card and more of like playing the game mm. want you know wanting pe i want people to hear it because i want my vibes out in the world and i love yeah. the idea that i love the idea that my songwriting has influenced a lot of other songwriters that's kind of amazing if i ever mm. stop to think about that yeah and so i feel like then there's another side of this of the game which is releasing sound into the world and and ideas into the world and seeing what comes back and hoping mm. that something comes back. Mm. So I'm looking less for like, I'm looking less for like, um, oh boy, that guitar tone was great. Let's do a session. Like mm. I, I'm not super interested in that. Okay. I'm more interested in, I guess I kind of like it. For example, if somebody listens to a song of mine and they tell me that it was useful in their life. I really, Ooh, really like that. Nice. Yeah. Like that's because in a way that's about them. It's not about me. Like, like it's not about them saying, you know, I think you're just so talented and great. Like that's just, just to me, that's just death. So, but I do like it when they say my kid and I listened to this song a hundred times on a cross country drive. Yeah. But to me, that's like, yes, yes. that's like, that's the yes. victory of victories, you know. So yeah. those I like those things, and I I'm, my ego is I, it's not like I have no ego. I I love being in people's consciousness. Sure, I just don't need them to tell me that I'm great. I I, I just want to know that somehow the the, yeah. tone, the tones that I've made have affected people's point of view. Definitely. Okay. Speaking of tones, and you were talking about your voice earlier, and I have. This might be a really dumb question. I don't know, yeah. but it feels really nerdy. I'm not a I'm songwriter, so ready. but what? <laughs> well, I was I was listening to too much. Your song, too much. What you're really like, I can hardly imagine. But I've imagined. You so well, way too many times. What sets you alight? What gets your heart racing? The way my heart feels when you walk by. And I try not to show it Send me away Find me a cause If I don't want you It's so easy to want you Turn around to find I'm completely lost Lost in these thoughts It's so easy to love you too 
Yeah. And it kicks off with you in a very high register. You're hitting right. these very high notes. Right. And I thought, does, does someone's vocal prowess uh, influence the songs you write for them? So, like when you're writing too much, do you think, I can hit that note. Let's write a song that hits that note. Or conversely, if you think, oh, I, I could never hit that note. Or so-and-so so that I'm writing with doesn't have it within them to hit this high or low note. Let's avoid right. those. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yes, that's that's um, way up there in my consciousness. Um, okay. It's like, I feel like the dirty secret or the sad secret of being a songwriter is really most of what you're doing is is writing a song for that voice whatever it is because mm. that voice needs a song and so what's more important in that in that equation it's the voice the voice is more important than the song because if you don't write a song for that voice someone else will and it'll probably be good you know good so I, I i feel like but see, we don't want, like, songwriters don't want to think that. They want to think that, you know, and I guess if you wrote Somewhere Over the Rainbow, it doesn't matter who sings it or whatever. You know, there are certain songs that are so transcendent, you know. Yeah. But I think it's really all about the voice. And it's really all about, like, if you can put yourself in the, well, if you're a fan, like, I like being a fan of the people that I'm working with, because then I can just be a fan. And I can think yeah. to myself, you know what, I'd really like this person to talk about is this. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I never hear them do this kind of um, interval, you know, like a leap of an inter interval. And, yes. And I want to hear them sing this kind of old school interval. Like, like in um, Not Ready to Make Nice Forgive, that octave. Uh -huh. Like, I, I was, because that's very Judy Garland kind of mm -hmm. super classic, you know, 30s, yes. 40s kind of uh, songwriting. And I, I really wanted to find some way to put that in a, a, a Natalie vocal, you know, it's all about the voice. So I, I think I'm so aware of my collaborator's voice that I don't, it'd be very hard for me to write something that's impossible for them to sing. Okay. Because my brain is already like doing that. Stuff. Yeah. What would sound great? And sometimes I might come up with something that was like, well, I'm not sure if the, I'd love to hear them try this. And then they try it and I'm not, we both know immediately if it's terrible or great. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's a little experiment, but it's, it's definitely, I'm already on the, I'm already on that train of like, mm -hmm. what can we do with this amazing person's amazing voice? What can happen? Okay. So then I have to ask you about some of the collaborations that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, One yeah. of them that sticks out to me is the song you wrote with Harry Connick Jr., You Have No Idea. All through the day I'm seeing your face on replay Like a movie in my mind Till I barely even see my real life All through the nighttime Lie and relive the last time Thinking about the night you stayed here You get me high and then you disappear And you're making me laugh When you say you wonder How I feel about you 
You have no idea how many times I think about you, how many nights I've been waiting to love you, how much I've come to need you, come to need you. You have no idea how many ways I dream about you, how many days I've been waiting to touch you, now that I've come. I'm so in love, you have no idea. Why can't I hold you? And the reason I mention that is because his voice does not sound like his voice on that song. He no. sounds like a soul singer, like yeah. a like a grittier soul singer, which yeah. he is not. Or yeah. he is, but he hadn't been up to this point. Right. So when you collaborate with Harry Connick Jr. on that song, does he say to you, I want to do something out of my comfort zone. I want to do something different. Do you say it to him? How does it even come about? Crazy. Uh, I was in I was in London, and I got together with Egg White, who's a songwriter I've known for quite a while. And we we were just going to get together and and jam, write a song of some kind. We didn't really know what. And we had both talked about how he had talked about how he was thinking of doing some recording. Oh, he had already done some recording with Harry. Mm. And I guess there was still, you know, some need for other, for more songs. Mm. But we then kind of like went over to the piano and the, and, and our guitars and stuff. And we kind of forgot about Harry Connick. And we ended up writing that song. You have no idea from, from an, from a, not even a melody, just more like a notion that I had, mm. uh, you know, Maybe I had the title. I'm not sure. But I love that title. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. So we wrote that song. And then when it was done, I think Egg maybe decided that it it could well be a Harry song. So I think when they got together and worked on it, this is my surmise. I'm not sure. They worked on the bridge together. And Harry had some ideas about how to change that. And so that's that's how I worked with Harry it was because Egg worked with me on the song and then he worked with Harry on the song, but we weren't together. Okay. Okay. But I agree with you. I think it doesn't, I mean, this is, this is kind of tricky because you don't necessarily want to be part of the song where the artist goes off their usual, you know, bread and butter approach yeah. and does something for them. That's, you know, if you, if you're going to be part of a big left turn for an artist, you want to, them to be really committed to the left turn and, ha- and have True. it be like, a body of work that represents it. I, you don't want to write a a one-off, weird-ass, mm-hmm. nothing else like it in their catalog mm-hmm. song. What does that do for anybody? It doesn't help anybody. So, well, Harry's it, taken some left turns in his career. That she mm-hmm. album was different, so it didn't it didn't feel outside the realm. It was just so different, you know. Um, I want to ask you too. Okay, somebody, you wrote a song called "Love Somebody" with I don't know if he's still Teddy Geiger. Teresa Geiger.
I don't know if oh, he, it's Teddy, a he. Teddy, Teddy is still Teddy, Teddy is still Teddy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so a few years ago, um, just a couple of years ago, and, and she she is she is a she. Yeah. She is a she. Okay, that was the other thing I was going to ask. Yeah. I used yeah. to watch this show called Love Monkey. It only lasted a few seasons, and it, it was about the. Name. Right, it was I know, but it was about the music industry. Even and, worse. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the guy was like a it was like a label rep who was trying to launch a new artist, and it was Teddy. Um, and uh, a couple of years ago, I thought, whatever happened to Teddy Geiger? I, I always liked that song, and wait, I looked him up. Wait, wait, when was the when was the show made? Like twenty years ago. Oh, and Teddy's like a teen idol face. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And that song, For You, I Will, I think was his big hit that it launched on that TV show. It only lasted like 10 episodes or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I thought, whatever happened with Teddy Geiger? He was, you know, launched in that show and then nothing. And then I find out that that he's a she now and he's uh, yeah. all of this is fine. I said, I'm not being critical at all. I just don't know what all yeah, the no. right terminology right. is. Yeah, she. And so you wrote this great song with her. Yeah. Love somebody. The video is very striking of her now just yeah. looking kind of bare from the shoulders up singing the song. What was that? How did this happen? Tell me about it. Well, I find Teddy, her so interesting. Teddy and I have been friends for uh, quite some time, actually. And really? Yeah. Not 10 years, but close to it. Okay. I think the first times we got together, it was like to be songwriters together and write something for somebody somehow, you know, like a, just, just to write a song for pitch, as they say. And so I think we did some of that and they were more, you know, conventional songs. And then Teddy, uh, in the, you know, independent from each other, we, we, we grew and changed and kind of, um, you know, our lot went through a lot of crazy shit in our lives, and uh, every time we got together, we would write something more unhinged and looser. You know, mm -hmm. less formulaic or less, yeah. you know, formal. I guess maybe. Mm -hmm. And I think um, so. The last bunch of times, I haven't I haven't seen Teddy in person for a couple years, uh, so I hope that she and I can hang out sometime soon. And we and we always have pretty amazing time, also. But the most recent things we've done are very influenced by the fact that when Teddy is producing um, the track, it goes through these metamorphoses really fast and ch it changes wildly from like, it can take 10 minutes for, for the song on the computer to turn into a whole different thing. Oh, like it's shocking. And, and you, it's almost like you just have to ride the tiger. You can't like, yeah. You can't steer. You can't. Uh -huh. You can't go. Oh, can we go back to the way it was twenty minutes ago? And because she'll go, nah, I don't, I'm not sure how to do that. I can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So you're you're always in this kind of ever changing kind of, you know, computer graphic stoner, uh, you know, wow. landscape. Yeah, and, yeah. And and so that's that song, "Love Somebody," has came from one of those sessions where I, by the end, I didn't know what I had contributed. Yeah. You know, I was just sort of part of the process you know yeah but that's i, I like songs like that and Teddy's, yeah Teddy's really amazing at i don't know almost i feel i love being in a situation where someone else sees me as having some spark or spirit and they want to exploit it somehow uh -huh. and then i'm not like in charge in any way yeah yeah like I'm, I'm just a 
I'm just a generator of tone, you know, right. uh, or I'll, I'll write a bunch of words and they'll just use what they want. I really uh, like that. I like that kind of role, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that song. Now my, uh, I wanted to ask you about Mitski. I'm yeah. not a Mitski expert, but my daughter loves Mitski. She's 15. And I think yeah. she even saw her in concert recently, loved it. Yeah. And you do the only heartbreaker. heartbreaker. That's right. So tell me about now she's talk about female artists that are kind of up and coming. She, I think has, is going places. How did this happen? Uh, I think her, I think it was a, on the business side, there was some kind of uh, trusting connection between her people and my people. Mm. I think on the music side, she and I have some mutual friends that, that I've, collaborated with and i think she was thinking about like getting into a thing of trying to co-write either for other people or to try it and i th i think she and i didn't really talk about this because i don't really ask people like so how did you discover me you know mm -hmm. I, I don't really <laughs> how do, what it was what led you to to want to do something with me you know i just yeah. i'm not interested in that kind of question so but i the impression i got is that was that the word on the street is that I'm a pretty chill person to write a song with and you're not going to go away feeling uh, soiled by mm. crassness or mm -hmm. uh, weeping from cruelty or, <laughs> you know, epically misunderstood to the point of despair or, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. like generally it kind of goes okay. And uh, people, uh -huh. And I'm pretty yielding, so I'm not like imposing my will on everybody, you know. So I think right. I think there's some sense that I'm like an easy person to write a song with. Okay. So I think maybe she had that vague idea, and then the idea was that she was going to come to my studio and we were going to write some songs to see if we could write for pitch together. Mm. And we kind of messed around with that a little bit. We mostly talked, and then finally she said, "You know what? There is a song that it's just been vexing me for a long time. I can't ever figure out how to finish it." Can I play it for you? And I said, yeah, yeah. So she played me the, the work in progress that is only Heartbreaker. I loved it. I was like, oh, <laughs> this is great, you know, and uh -huh. we, tr we tried a bunch of things on it. We wrote and we ended up, we wrote some nice words where there weren't any words and some of the parts didn't have words and we wrote some really nice words together. And I think that was a first for her, maybe uh, just to work on the lyrics together can be very dicey because you don't want someone else reaching in there and like, you know, changing something or, you know, being clumsy mm -hmm. with you or whatever. And so that can be fraught. So 
but that went really well and we and we actually we wrote a whole other we the final demo we had had a whole other section in it that she very wisely removed that's I think that might have also been one of the things that we wrote together. She uh, took, it, took it back out, but it, but it definitely. Um, I don't know. She's been very generous in talking about the song because she re- always acknowledges that it it wouldn't have been it would. She doesn't feel like it would have really made the made it across the finish line as mm. a song, mm. except for this kind of the happenstance of her and me being together and having a great conversation and like maybe striking out on trying to write hits for other people. We were, she yeah. was like, well, I do have this one song I have a lot of trouble with. Huh. Um, okay. I, I, I got three big ones here for the end. Um, hey, great. Not a surf. I love not a surf. I, and you remind me a little bit of Matthew cause in your Thank vocal you. approach and yeah. your songwriter um, abilities. I think they're one of the greatest bands of the last, whatever they, whatever, switch they flipped in the early 2000s to become whatever they are now i think they're gorgeous and you wrote a couple of songs with them that's a match made in heaven you too how did this happen We have a mutual friend named Karen Glauber. She's been a kind of a... She worked at A&M when Trip Shakespeare was on A&M. Mm. And uh, we've been friends ever since. And she's been friends with Matthew for ever and a day. And she was always telling me, you and Matthew have to get together. You have to be... You have to collaborate. You need to know each other. And finally, she dragged me to one of their shows. I really liked them a lot. I like See These Bones. Is that the title? Yeah. Uh-huh. Look Alive. I, I, when I first heard that song, which was part of that transformation you're talking about, that was them becoming them in this amazing yeah. Th- That song, uh, that was one of those songs that I listened to like 50, 100 times. You know, it was just yeah. so into it. Exactly. And a bunch of their songs are, are, are like that. So uh, we went, so Karen and I went to the show. It was wonderful. The Not a Surf show. It was wonderful. Afterwards, uh, we hung around back and met Matthew, and we had a very nice time. And then she then she pitched us on the idea of us, and both of us were like, "Yes, yes, yes, Karen, you've told us, you've told us." So eventually, we did get together, and we wrote uh, three songs, including that song "Rushing." Rushing and a victories, a real, a real yours. beauty. Victories, yours. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah.
Yeah, yeah, so great. And we had the best time and we we talked about it doesn't always go this way, but we we both like it wasn't like the artist bearing their soul and the and the co-writer going, "Oh, wow." You know, like it was we both spilled our guts in a very intense way together. And 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 we we both found it it's like super easy to just talk. And yeah. and then from then we just kind of became like friends in a, in a pure sort of friend way. That makes so much sense. Yeah. So much sense. And, and we, we definitely are peas in a pod, you know, and, and uh, I, I, I totally understand now, of course, in retrospect, why Karen thought it was so important that we would hang out. And eventually like he and I said, I went to his wedding and he and I sang, uh, we got up on a, on a bench and sang rushing uh, really? for every, in harmony for everybody oh. it was really fun i was like wow what an honor you know? so yeah great. he lives in england right cambridge i believe uh i think i think that's where he is now yeah 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 wild um okay i gotta ask you about weezer okay um, great it's funny i you went to harvard rivers famously went to harvard yes i and he has a lot of like spreadsheets and uh i wonder if he sort of you know <laughs> software designed some kind of algorithm that said who should a guy like me be writing songs with that will you know <laughs> and out of the algorithm spit dan wilson and that's where like california kids come from and stuff yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's what was it like working with him when you wake up cobwebs on your eyelids stuck in Well, he, uh, he, when he was at Harvard, Semisonic had our first EP and it was a hit in Boston, ah. but probably not anywhere else. It was called the Pleasure EP. Uh-huh. And it was, but it was, it really got played a lot at WBCN in Boston and at, and at the Phoenix also. Is that what it's called? I can't remember the name of the other, st- there were two stations that were bothering to play us and they were okay. both in Boston. So, there was a song called "Brand New Baby" of Semisonics that got got a lot of time on the on the radio, and and Rivers emailed us at our fan email site, and oh. we were all like freaked out because <laughs> we loved their records, their first two records. Yeah, and we all sort of like it was like the, you know it was to answer Rivers to say thank you, man. And <laughs> it went back back and forth a couple of times, and then and then a bunch of years passed, like. Good grief. I don't know. 13 years or something like that, or, or 
10 years past or something like that. Uh, and then out of the blue, he he wrote me another email and it said, hey, Danny boy, what do you say <laughs> we get together and write a song? <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to meet him and we ended up, he showed me his spreadsheets. Yep. We, uh, we ended up writing um, Ruling Me. Uh-huh. That was on Hurley. And that's one of them, I, I I don't think people may have heard, but uh, it's I love that song. Okay. And one of my favorite things about the song is that when we wrote it, he sent me a demo after we had done a little bit of recording. Then I left town, and then he sent me a demo, and and and, and then I called him and I said I think it's I think it's too innocent sounding, mm -hmm. and he said well it it's great, and we we can revise the innocence out. Oh, interesting. And then he sent me a second uh, iteration of, of the lyrics, and they were exactly that. They were they were snarky and funny and uh -huh. ridiculous uh -huh. and weird and great and much more colorful. And he yeah. had taken the innocent sweetness out of it. And it still is a pretty, a pretty, pretty sweet song, but... It's but, great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last collaboration. There, I could go on forever, but I'll just... What last one is Steve Perry, the No More Crying.
Um, because that, as you know, that Traces album sort of came out of nowhere. Yeah. It was just, you don't think of, you love and miss Steve Perry and you, but you haven't thought about him for a while. And suddenly this right. album plops down out of nowhere and you're on it. How did okay. you two collaborate? I got a, a, an A&R guy called me up and gave me a big, long pitch about how I should write a song with Steve. And I guess I didn't really realize it needed a big, long pitch because I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but then but then everyone sort of would tell me, I was like, oh, I'm heading to L.A. to write with Steve Perry. And they go, oh, he's such a recluse. He's never going to put out any music. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And I was like, oh, what am I getting into? But yeah. we we wrote sort of a third of a song over several days. And then we might have got. Well, then we got together again, like six months later, and wrote another third of the same song. Okay. And then years went by. Years. Oh, wow. And he was very. He was a very fun, very unique, like a super soulful, really um, eccentric is the wrong word because he doesn't have weird habits and he doesn't, you know, wear a cape or anything. You know, he's. He, he just is a very unique, soulful yeah. guy who's very much of an artist, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So then, years, years, literally, I don't know if it was six years, but like many years went by. Yeah. And then he called me out of the blue and said, um, "You know, can I send you a a mix of the song we worked on?" <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> "What?" <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, but I mean, work like. You know, being in the room and having him sing, he's, oh. he's you know, it's like. Would you have ever guessed? I mean, when you're a kid growing up and you're listening to like Frontiers or Departure yeah. or those Journey albums and thinking that guy's going to sing. I'm going to write a song with that guy one day. No, I, no. Never. never. No. Never, never. Never would have guessed. No. Never would have guessed. I mean, that's true for a lot of these people, but Steve especially. Uh, well, partly because he's sort of part of the like you know lights and um wheel in the sky and yeah. uh, don't stop believing and yes there's all a whole bunch stuff. of songs of theirs that are just sort of part of my dna of like this is how you make a great pop song yeah all of us yes yeah, yeah. and you could so with him yeah so the fact that we wrote together is just kind of super weird it is <laughs> um, okay, I have two semisonic questions for you, and then okay, and then, then we got then we got to wrap because my my uh, my my staff has arrived. Okay, sorry. Okay, real quick. Number one, um, when you did Secret Smile, and it sounded unlike anything else that was on the radio. I mean, I know you get all the pub for closing time, but Secret Smile to me didn't sound like anything else at that time. And you use it only for me Nobody knows it But you've got a secret smile And you use it only for me So use it and prove it Remove this world of sadness I'm losing and bluesing But you Nobody knows. 
and that all comes down mostly to the arrangement and the production. Yeah. What made you think that that's what was needed for that song? Well, that was a weird... I, I, it's hard to explain because I wrote it in a dream. Oh. And to me, in my dream, it was it was it was a in my dream I had written an R and B smash. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And so I woke up and I wrote it all down, and then I went back to sleep. And then the next day, when I woke up again, I list, I, I I I got to the piano and I played what I remembered from the dream and read it, had written down, and it was an R and B smash. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and then we could, you know, the, the band was not really an R and B band, you know. So eventually, we we were sort of halfway between rock and something with a little bit more soul in it and i said let's make let's make it sound more like one by u2 and when i came back because i was going to this the hospital at that time to see my daughter coco who was there for about a year so i was i was i was i came back and they had done exactly what i said and it was horrifying because it sounded exactly like one by u2 it was like it sounded like a cover uh-huh. So we removed all that stuff, but somehow the vibe, uh, like maybe one of those guitars remained, or maybe a, a couple of those yeah. things remained, and it's to me it had that vibe of one without sounding like a knockoff. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, Ooh, that's and fascinating. That's how it. That's how that record ended up sounding more like a band than a band trying to be. Yeah. To, to write an R&B smash. Yes. Oh, fascinating. I've always wondered. Okay. Last question. I'm sorry I've kept you. You're so gracious. Thank oh, you, Dan. No problem. Um, Okay. In Jacob's book, which is one of my favorite music-related books ever, um, I've read it a couple of times, one of the things that I've always wondered, and I don't, maybe he and I even talked about this when he was on, I forgot, I don't know. When Chemistry comes out, and it felt like Jacob spent a really good amount of time writing about the rise of Semisonic, and then suddenly the end is sort of quick, and that's not a knock on him. But why did, I mean, if chemistry had taken off like Feeling Strangely Fine did, yeah. you might not even be here, you know? Yeah. So why did, it, were you feeling some writer's block? Did you feel like chemistry wasn't up to par? Did the, did the label not feel that? Did the general public not feel that? What happened with chemistry? I don't know, because I, I really love that record. I, I feel like there's a couple of mis, misfires on it but it has three or four of my favorite semi-sonic songs on it. Really? And it's got, you know, but it was like we were, I was turning more towards piano, uh-huh. more towards a romantic vision of songwriting. And the rest of the world, God bless the way things work. The rest of the world was heading towards Limp Biscuit mm-hmm. and Nine Inch Nails. You know, not that the Nine Inch Nails was a new band, but you know what I mean? Just that sure. roaring like, yes. negativity aggro. Yeah. yeah. And our stuff was not that. And I was just, I just, I, I didn't want to pretend that I was aggro. So I did this very keyboard heavy, you know, and Coco was in the hospital. So I had a lot of like intense emotional in, inner life that was yeah. affecting the songs a lot. And maybe there's a kind of a, maybe there's a sad, undercurrent that people found a little less joy filled than feeling strangely fine. Yeah. You know, so I, I, th- I, you know, there might've been a couple of misfires on it, but really all the song all about chemistry is, is good. It's really, I really good. Totally it's a, the whole, I like it all. Yeah. It's a fabulous single. 
it, it just can't be played in between Nine Inch Nails and and Limp Biscuit. Interesting. Okay. There was okay. no place for that. Yeah. That window was short. That was like Ben Folds. Yeah. And not a surf. Yeah. And yours truly. Better than Ezra. Those kinds yeah. of bands. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like, you know, sensitive, nerdy people with like guitars. But yeah. that was that was no longer what was happening. Yeah. Fine. Okay. Okay. Was it fine at the time? No, it could have been easy. Yeah. No, I was I was super sad. I really thought we had laid our hearts on the line, and and it just didn't work. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I but I was really really sad, and it's also yeah. fine to be sad. Yeah. Well, Dan, uh, I just think you're a genius. Thank you for talking <laughs> with me. Thank you. John. Uh, it means a lot. I love you a lot. Thank you for uh, everything. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It was a good conversation. All right, there you have it, Dan Wilson, genius. The guy's a genius. Uh, since we were talking about the semisonic song Chemistry there at the end, I thought let's close it out with Chemistry. Um, get your hand, I, get your hands on some semisonic first and foremost. I have a, uh, it's a pretty, it's one of those like Universal 20th Century Masters, the the CDs with like the white and silver spines. I have one of those. It's the greatest hits of semisonic. I mean, start there if nothing else, and then go into the individual albums. But then, of course, seek out his solo work. Just pull him up, like I said in here, just pull him up on Spotify, start with the most uh, recent thing, hit play, and let it go for a couple of hours. And you're just going to go through all this wonderful song craft. It's great. Now, speaking of craft, as I mentioned last week, we're kind of going through a little bit of a cycle here. The next couple of guests are primarily known as fantastic songwriters. And next week's guest is up there as well a true craftsman of this of songwriting it's amazing not as big not as well known never had like a gigantic hit or anything but tons of street cred highly highly respected in the music community um that's who's coming up next week okay huge thanks as always to yeah the man makevich my right hand man for everything uh, folks, you can like our page on Facebook. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. I am, uh, if you're listening to this, I've probably just landed in Hawaii on my quick vacation, be here for eight days. Before I left, I tried to get everything out into the mail to send off any gifts that Patreon supporters have won over the last few weeks. That should all be out there. If you didn't receive it and you thought you were getting something, tell me, and hopefully I didn't get it wrong or it's not stuck somewhere. Um, all right. Thanks, folks. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.